All right, everybody, we're glad to have with us uh, Reese Davis from uh, the, the uh, man, the guy that just uh, released all the uh, polls, and that's the way he voted them, too, I'm sure, not really. But, uh, <laughs> it's not. hey, it's just good to have you on as usual, Reese. You know, this is like third straight year you've been on with, with us, and we appreciate it. Overview last night uh, without going into too much about what your thoughts were on the, the recent voting. I didn't have a big problem with it, Coach. Um, it's not the way I stack them up, but it's it's almost the way I stack them up. And what I mean by that is I still have Ohio State one, uh, but you know I almost moved Tennessee there last week uh, just to be candid about it. But I didn't have a big problem. You can make a case for any of those three teams to be number one. Um, I probably have Michigan or not probably have Michigan ahead of Clemson. Um, I have Alabama ahead of TCU, but you could easily make the case the other way because TCU probably has more uh more solid wins you know than alabama but alabama's played a brutal road schedule so you can make the case either way i didn't have a big big issue with anything they did i thought it was all reasonable my only my only real beef was i wanted them to give us one versus two instead of one versus three so i wish they'd had georgia second instead of uh, instead of third but that's just yeah. We, show. we got it we can pretend we got it based on their other polls so there you be go good. there you go and you'll You'll be here for that, but we'll get into that a little bit uh, in, in a little bit. But uh, being an Alabama graduate and following the SEC like you do, uh, not talking about being a homer because you're not, but certainly Alabama's got its warts this year. Uh, what do you think the reason for all the penalties and, and the, just the lack of uh, sideline control, just things, uh, decision-making that you just normally don't see uh, the cost you games like uh, what's happening with Bama right now? I, I don't know. I mean, I wish I, I wish I was smart enough to tell you, but I, I imagine they don't know either. Or they would fix it, but it's uh, it's been a recurring thing. I mean, it wasn't just Tennessee. They had, they had 15 at Texas. And if I, I think they had double figures at Arkansas too, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, they've had a, they've had a lot of PIs in addition to that. I'm not sure that the one that got called at Tennessee should have been uh, pass interference, but you know it it was enough to give the guy pause to think about it. They've had a lot that were clearly pass interference. They've had a bunch of penalties on third down. Um, you know they're just not they're not crisp like they've been in the past. Whether it's penalties, um, I haven't looked this week, but last week they led the nation in drop percentage and drop passes, and you know they. They are explosive at times in the running game, but they aren't necessarily consistent in it in terms of, you know, getting short yardage when you need it. So uh, they, yeah, I think they've got their, uh, their hands full in Baton Rouge on Saturday night. Although that historically Baton Rouge at night's been a home game for Alabama. I mean, they, they've owned that place. I've, I've got a trivia question for you right quick about that, that, well, I shouldn't even give you cause I want to break it out of the show. Can break you it out make- on the show. All right, all right. Well, I was going to give it to you, but I'll, I'll give it to you later. I'll break it out. All right, I could probably answer it anyhow. You probably so, could. Uh, so Dane's got a question for you about uh, Coach Dooley. They wants to get in here, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, just a lot of heavy hearts in Athens, Reese, and uh, I'm sure that you've all talked about it some on, on either your podcast or things that you do. But do you have any stories with Vince Dooley or anything that maybe you had personal interaction with him that you would want to share with our audience? Yeah, I do. I went back when I got the news on Friday and I scrolled back through my my text last year before Georgia and Michigan played. 
I went and, and dug up some of the old stories and even found the old footage from the 1965 Georgia-Michigan game. So I was watching the game, and there comes a point in the game where Georgia had the ball backed up in their own end, and they faked a quick kick on second down now, faked a quick kick and threw a pass. So I'm like, what in the world? So I, I reach out to Claude Felton and say, I want to get in touch with Coach Dooley. And so I tried to text it and finally Claude said, well, why don't you just call, uh, call Coach? This is going to be easier for the two of you to talk. So I called and talked to him and he had no recollection of the play. And he said, do you have the video? And I said, I do. So I sent him the video and he watched it and he still didn't remember it. So he reached out to the players involved and he said, you know, Reese Davis sent me this play and it was in the Michigan game. And uh, you, I, I wish I had it in front of me right now, but it was the backup quarterback who was in the game for some reason. It was a guy who came out like he was going to quick kick and actually kicked his foot into the air and then didn't pull it and pass. He didn't remember doing it. And so, so we have this big mystery about it, but when it was over, uh, you know, Vince sent a message and said, you know, said, I'm really glad you brought that up because it gave me a chance to reminisce with some of my former players, take a stroll down memory lane and, and do all of those things. And, you know, but that was the first thing that came to mind. Uh, a few years ago, uh, he sent me some other materials to, to look over in preparation for a Georgia game when I'd reached out to him a, a postseason game, maybe the Rose Bowl year. And, um, it, you know, he was just the consummate gentleman. Uh, I, was, I was proud to regard him as a friend. And certainly, you know, he's, he's a, a giant, a legend, and an icon in college football. And, you know, the only thing that he was better than as than a coach is he was a better human being. And his bark has been left on so many people and he'll, he'll be greatly missed. But I, yeah, I, I always enjoyed any chance I, I got to, to speak with, with Vince. He and his family are wonderful people. Yeah. You know, uh, you're talking about that fake quick kick uh, in high school, 1962, we're playing RJ Reynolds and they ran a quick kick on us in the first half. And then in the third quarter, I mean, the fourth quarter, they faked the quick kick and the guy stuck it behind his butt and went 67 yards for us. And we lost the, the chance to get in the finals of the state. So those are plays back in the 60s that people used to use, that's for sure. I'll always remember that fake quick kick. It just chapped my butt, man. It's yeah. a tough play. <laughs> well, that was the but, thing. Uh, well, Coach Dewey said, you know, we punted a lot on third down back then, you know, the way it would go. Oh, yeah, we played a lot of field position. But this was on second down. And he said, I don't know. He said, he said, I'm guessing that uh, that I'm going to look up the name in a minute while we're talking. But he said, I'm guessing that he just did it to try to, you know, create some space and, and make Michigan yeah. hesitate or something. So, hey, back when I was playing quarterback, we you know, I was a punter, too. And Earl, our coach, Earl Edwards, he was bad about punting on third down. But we we didn't have a deep snapper as our center. So the deep snapper had to come out. So I told our players, I said, look. If we don't make it on second down, get in the huddle quick. By the time McDuffie gets out here, we can call a play and still not kick it. So uh, we used to try to, you know, Earl was bad about kicking on third down. I hated that. And I was a quarterback and a punter, but I could control some of that. But but going forward here, uh, a couple things in the conference that just seem to be uh, really big news right now is the fact that uh, LSU turnaround, Ole Miss just being as dominant as they've been, except for the one game. 
what? How do you feel like that's going to play out in in the West right now? I mean, it's hard to predict, but uh, project. But uh, certainly, those are two teams. And if you look at uh, at uh, what uh, uh, Josh Heupel's done in uh, two years there at Tennessee, and Harson was only there for two years, so it's startling turnaround at Tennessee. But we'll talk about that in a minute. But the West, I mean, it's up for grabs, isn't it? Well, I think it is, but if uh, if LSU wins Saturday night, they're going to Atlanta. Now, they have two road games left. It's their last home game. They've got to go to Arkansas, got to go to AM. But I don't think there's any reason in the world why you wouldn't expect them to go because remember, they've got two losses, but one's non-conference. So they would have they would have a game lead on Alabama and the tiebreaker. Alabama's going to be eliminated if they lose. And they will have the head-to-head tiebreaker against Ole Miss. And Ole Miss still still has to play Bama, still has to play Mississippi State. So, look, Ole Miss could still get in, you know, if, if LSU were to stumble. You know, I guess if, if Ole Miss ran the table. But I really, you know, I really think LSU is probably playing for a trip to Atlanta Saturday night. I mean, won't be over. Not saying there's no way Arkansas could beat them. But I, I just – that's what it looks like. And Brian Kelly's, you know, first season at LSU has been, uh, has been really good. They've, you know, I think we maybe got a little skewed because they're two big times on the big stage. Um, they had embarrassing moments, whether it was sort of the gaff of the way they, you know, pull back into the Florida state game and then let it get away um, with the missed extra point or, or, you know, getting steamrolled by Tennessee. But they've been okay, you know, for, for most of the year. They did a really good job late in the game against Mississippi State and, and control that game. Brian's a good coach, man. I mean, you know, he's he can be – No question. Yeah, he can be prickly and stuff. I've always gotten along great with him probably because of, of my Notre Dame connections. I'm fond of him. Um, but he's a terrific coach, and I'm not at all surprised to see them playing with discipline and improving as the season goes along and – uh, you know, it would be it would be quite the thing if you wound up with uh, Josh Heupel in his second year and Brian Kelly in his first playing for the SEC championship in Atlanta. Unbelievable. That would be unbelievable. You know, my son Todd did a little bit of broadcasting after he finished uh, uh, coaching here and he did a game where Cincinnati was playing like the first year that Coach Kelly was there and he went up there and watched them practice and watched uh you know get ready for the game and he called me he said dad this guy can really coach ball said he's mm-hmm. in charge of everything he knows what he's doing he said he said he's not going to be here long and you know that that was the first i'd ever heard of brian kelly but uh that, you know when my son gives the guy a little kudos i know he knows what he's doing mm-hmm. so let's talk about kirby smart here for a second then we're going to get to the tennessee matchup but the evolution you've, you've seen kirby coach it uh, as a d coordinator uh, now the head coach, uh, your impressions of the of what he how he's developed, uh, not only uh, defensively but just the overall coach uh, now for the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, yeah, poor old Kirby. You know, ranked number three. You know, all the shiny new toys at Tennessee. Georgia's an afterthought. Oh, I feel awful for Kirby. It was a good run. You know, and I'm obviously for Georgia fans who. Uh, don't recognize sarcasm. I'm being sarcastic. Um, Kirby is an elite coach and he's smart because he adapts. He's They've done a really good job uh, taking their offensive personnel, letting their offensive coordinator run the, run the scheme the way he wants to and using their best players. They've got great tight ends right now. They'll use great tight ends. In some years, I can envision in the future, they're going to have 
um, you know, stud wide receivers, and they'll use them more in the passing game. So I, I think he's adapted well to his personnel. I think he's maintained, he's found a really good way of maintaining his fiery countenance on the sidelines, yet always being in control. He, he has enthusiasm rather than uh, energy burn, if that makes any sense. And I think that, uh, you know, I think he's an elite coach, obviously wouldn't have won the national championship last year without it and played for another uh, a few years ago. So, you know, I think, I think he's become more and more comfortable. He's, I think he's adapted to the way the game is played now, whether you're, you know, whether you like it or not, most you're going to have to score a lot of points to win. And for all of the great things George has done on defense, they score a lot of points. I mean, they score what 41 points a game right now. I think they're, you know, fifth or sixth in the country in scoring. They put points on the board and he recognizes that, that that's what you have to do. So he's been, he's developed a well-balanced program and not one that's just built on, you know, stifling defense. It's going to try to hold everybody to 10 points a game because when you play offenses like Tennessee's, like Alabama's the last few years, you're not holding them to 10 points. You know, you're at least, and if you do, you won't do it all the time. So he's, he's found many ways to win and he's embraced the offensive side. Not that he didn't before, but I think maybe, I read, I read something the other day that probably made a lot of sense. I know he already knew it because he was at Alabama when they adapted, but maybe getting it drilled home in 2019 when they played Burrow and LSU and saying, you know what, we're, we're, we're good enough on defense, but we need to do more of that, you know, in addition to being good on defense and George has been able to do it. Reese, a couple of college game day questions for you because I am kind of a nerd of, of the broadcast piece. You've told us about your meticulous preparation. You've told us that you don't use a prompter. and But I'm curious about when the broadcast ends and you all scatter into all your different directions, <laughs> what does your particular game day, not necessarily the show, but watching football from that point, what does that look like? And then also, how much are y'all teasing Kirk about his travel schedule? Uh, not at all because we don't see him because he has to go, you know, uh, but we might get him a little bit on Fridays, but um, you know, on Saturdays after the show, I usually, I usually go to the bus, watch games until kickoff of the game where we are and then go to the stadium and, you know, watch the game. If it remains competitive, I stay for, you know, I stay for the game. If it doesn't, maybe I sneak back to the bus and catch up on, you know, what else is going on. But it's, it's one of my favorite times of the day to uh, that, Saturday at, you know, after we finish the pictures and things like that, say 12, 15, 12, 20, kind of go and exhale and have like five screens in front of you, really comfortable. Our bus driver, Matt, new this year is doing a tremendous job. He has everything set up when I get there because he's a fan too. And he, he wants to see the games. And uh, so we're, we're set up back there and watching everything. And I've got this, we've got this little clicker thing that puts the game that you want and the audio that you want on the big center screen. And then we have four smaller ones around it. So, and one of them's tied. It's, I think you can only have four games. I think it's the way it is, but you click one to the middle. So I'm constantly doing that and moving games around and, you know, something doesn't look good. We change it and go to another game. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's one of the, it's one of the more enjoyable parts of the day. If you're a college football nut, the way I am. Yeah, we used to have a lot of fun before the shows or uh, during the games ourselves watching all those games in the whatever name of that room was and talked a lot of ball in there too up there between you used to tell me how to run the wishbone that was Dude, I learned I learned what are you talking about I learned about the wishbone from you 
I learned yeah. all the things I did wrong when we tried to run it in uh, in uh, high school, early high school. Yeah, we got one of the the guys that was uh, our, uh, I guess, production assistant. Uh, the, the coming in, uh, Brett Edgerton's uh, coming in. You know, he's a big Tennessee ball fan. He's coming in here this weekend, all primed and cocked. He used to just be uh, live and die with those uh, balls. But let's just talk about them. From your perspective, I think you've been up there twice this year with game day. Is that right? Uh, I have, yeah. The evolution of that team and the, and the spirit, all of a sudden, I mean, you've got people coming out of the woodwork up there, ball mania. I mean, uh, a tremendous job that he, they, that Coach Heupel's done. But really, their defense has gotten better, everything about them. This is a team, which I told Dane, that barely beat Pitt in overtime, a team that's 4-4 four and four and a team that lost to Georgia Tech. So it's not like they're the greatest team in the history of football as far as dominance, but their evolution has been unreal uh, with, like you mentioned, LSU win, Alabama win. And right now they're really at the, you know, right at the top of uh, college football. They, they're running a parallel track in a lot of ways to that 2019 LSU team with uh, great wideouts, a veteran quarterback who's been around and seen a lot, a uh, little bit of uh, wrinkles on offense that the defensive are having difficulty adjusting to. Um, and then all the way to going in on the road to their giant litmus test after surviving an early game. Remember LSU survived the game at Texas uh, early in the season that year that they won the national championship, a, a Texas team that was, you know, okay. Uh, you know, they weren't great, but they were okay. Much like, you know, Pitt sort of Pitt was better early than they are right now for sure. But I, I think the thing that, that Josh has done is he's given them direction. He's, uh, you know, being around in the football building a little bit when we've been up there, there, there's a real calm, a real presence, a real belief in everything they do. They're very, uh, you know, they're very confident in their system. They've got, you know, like Georgia does, they've got a quarterback that's, you know, 25 years old. I think, I think Stetson and Hendon, are, I think I saw it the other day, I think our researcher did older than 10 starting quarterbacks in the NFL. So, you know, these are guys who aren't going to get too bothered by circumstances. Hendon's just a, a tremendous dude, um, too. I, I really hadn't had a chance to spend a lot of time with him until our first trip up there. And I went over and visited with him for a while. And just, I mean, really an impressive, you know, young man, good, good young man of faith and um, great leader for Heupel's team and they've they've accentuated what he does well he can he can throw the deep ball he can run um you know they aren't putting him in positions to have to throw the ball and hit a keyhole you know they're they're putting him in positions where there's a little bit more of a of a catch radius to hit if you will and they've got guys who have that and they've got tremendous speed on the outside um with uh, I don't I'm not astute enough to tell you exactly how this worked Jim but the thing that that you would be able to tell me I thought their offensive staff pulled Alabama's pants down because they got they got every matchup they wanted with you know DeMarco Helms is a good player for Alabama but he's a he's a safety who will knock your head off coming across the middle play the ball in the air and come fit in the run game he's not going to run with Jalen Hyatt and they continually got that matchup over and over again I don't know exactly what Alex Golish, their offensive coordinator, other than formation and stacking receivers and getting them way out wide so you can't, you know, have a harder time adjusting. But 
they have been able to create a matchup more often than not with virtually everybody they play. The discipline is evident because they play so stinking fast and they don't get many, you know, procedure penalties or false start right. penalties, and all that kind of stuff. Now that might be different in that environment that they're headed to on Saturday, but, um, but up to this point, you know, that hasn't reared its ugly head and they play at a blistering pace and they do it. They do it effectively. I, I even asked Hendon at one point, you know, because in the old days, like with, uh, with Chip Kelly and Gus Malzahn, it seemed to me, and you please correct me if I'm wrong, seemed like a lot of times when they really went fast, they just lined up and ran the same play. And Tennessee has a system that allows them to line up real fast and get off another one and run something a little bit different off of that. Now, I'm not saying that Chip and Gus couldn't ever do that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that it seemed like a lot of times at the real warp speed, it, it might have had variations or options off of it. It was the same thing. Tennessee seems yeah, to have found that, a way to do it a little bit differently. Yeah, uh, the thing that they do getting lined up fast is they've got some options off each play based on how you line up. If you mm-hmm. if you don't have enough people, and by, by that I mean you're not lined up like you're supposed to, even though they have a play called, there's a variation off of it that, mm-hmm. you know, the what if. If there's not a guy on this guy, we're going to hit this guy fast. If a guy's lined up an outside technique, we're going to go more of an inside breaking route. You know, all those little nuances like like you should do instead of saying, boy, I wish we'd have had this. And that's what's happened, the evolution of Josh having this through the years. I mean, mm-hmm. he did it some with Drew Locke. He did it down there with Gabriel at UCF. And now he continues to explore all kind of – the thing that Alabama did very poorly in the game was get lined up. If, you, if you're trying to get the right call against uh, Tennessee, you're not going to get it. You just got to get a call. Whatever it is, your players need to be in position to at least have not give them a layup in, in basketball. They get a, they got a lot of layups in that game, and I think that's what George has really worked hard on is to get get a call in and make them execute and make them, you know, make the throw instead of just just an easy one that Dane could hit, which Dane doesn't have a very good arm now. I can tell you, <laughs> it's true, but, yeah. but it's that's what's happened. But uh, let me, let me ask going, let me ask you this right quick. The, the defense has done the best job against them is Pittsburgh. And as you know, Narduzzi, Narduzzi blitz is coming off the bus, maybe coming out of the team hotel. And, you know, he got after him a little bit and applied more pressure than, than anybody yeah. against them. I know that's if not you, necessarily what Georgia does. How much of that do you expect to see Saturday? If, well, any- if you remember, if you remember in uh, Narduzzi was a D coordinator, at Michigan state when they played Baylor in that game, and they got killed for a long time. But then in the third and fourth quarter, they just started pressuring Baylor and came back and won the game. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I feel like that was their their theory going in this. We're going to try to get this guy off his spot, make sure he's not comfortable, whether it's a five, six, or seven-man pressure. But you got to have some guys out on the edge that can cover, but you also got to have somebody in the slot, like you mentioned, Helms. If if they know you don't have a safety that's ca- capable, they'll just play one on one with that guy all day and max protect. So uh, it's it's going to be a chess match because you got Kirby Smart, Will Muschamp, and Glenn Schumann that I guarantee you they haven't been playing golf all summer. Uh, they've been working <laughs> on these Tennessee balls for a long time. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do to you know to, to line up and, and and play a little chess match with them, but. 
uh, certainly uh, Georgia's offense has got to be the key in this game. Uh, you got to keep Tennessee off the field, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that more on some of our deals, but getting going forward to uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the, the Tennessee defense and the way it's developed with the pressure package and the way they really, uh, particularly last week against UK. I mean, it, it just like they dismantled UK. It was un- unbelievable the way they d- dominated them. Well, Tim Banks, their defensive coordinator, has done a really uh, outstanding job of getting key stops. They're a little bit tougher to run on, I think, than, than people think they're going to give up yards because they're going to be on the field a lot because of the way their offense plays. So they've, you know, they've made it their business to try to create negative plays as for last week. um, You know, I I don't mean to bash Kentucky. I think Kentucky's fine. Uh, I don't think they're very good on the offensive line. I mean, I know Levis is good and Rodriguez is a really good player and they're well coached and they're, you know, they're, really tough and physical and all the accolades you want to want to give a typical Mark Stoops coach team, who I think is a a terrific coach, but this particular team isn't great on the offensive line. Um, You know, they haven't been able to run all year. They haven't really protected Levis that great all year. And that's just a bad combination. I think against a Tennessee defense that that is something they do well. And they've also stopped the run well uh, or well enough, I should say. So, you know, I think they've got some pieces. They've got guys can run uh, there. I, you know, I guess, you know, McCullough is, you know, after his off the field situation is ready to go at safety. And, you know, so I, I think this, I think they're, I think they're pretty good, but they're like everybody else in the country. I'm not sure exactly who they have to do anything with 19 and red and black on Saturday, you know, so that's going to be a, a big problem or, or Washington for that matter. So, you know, I really think Georgia's offense has a chance. As much as we talk about what is Tennessee's defense going to do, if Georgia's offense keeps scoring, that puts as much pressure on um, on Tennessee as anything the Georgia defense will do because they know right. there's no margin for error. So if Georgia can control the ball a little bit, um, you know, Georgia's not as explosive as Tennessee, but you go through the stats and Georgia, you know, doesn't have anywhere near the 30-yard plays. They've got some big plays, but n- – anywhere near the number of, say, 30-yard plays that Tennessee does. But Georgia's second in the country, technically tied for fourth, but they have the second most 10-yard plays in America. So they they get their – they just get their chunks in smaller bites, but they take a whole bunch of bites. And, you know, if they can do that against Tennessee, I think that not only wears down the Tennessee defense, but it puts a lot of pressure on the Tennessee offense to um, to score every time. Now, here's a memo to everybody that's listening to this. The difference in this team that Tennessee's getting ready to face and anybody they've seen is our offensive line is much better than Alabama. It's much better than, than anybody they face. So they're not going to be coming through there, uh, you know, untouched. They're not going to be coming off the edge the way we can block the perimeter. Now, they might make some, uh, you know, stops on us, but – I don't see a lot of lost yardage plays against this team as a coach, the way our guys are coached. Uh, the quarterback is really uh, – Stetson's tremendous at handling pressure. You watched him against Tennessee last year. He just made them look foolish the way he moved around in the pocket. So, if, if they're counting on pressure and Bennett, I think that's something that's going to be hard for him to do. But uh, we'll, we'll just have to see. There's going to be a lot of chess matches. And uh, so, Dane, you, you're going to finish this up here, here. I know my man's got a lot going on here. 
I just want to give Reese some grief because we've interviewed him. We've interviewed Kirk before and the bear, Chris Felica. And then on college game day, you all get a trivia question wrong with Jim Donnan being the answer. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? Uh, And I, but I did, at least I got a text from Houston nut thanking me for guessing him. You know what? what, That was nice. I I don't, I I was so hurt. I couldn't really, I forgot your number. (laughs) I was going to give you more grief about it tomorrow night, but wait, uh, Dane, Dane, the question was, the question was uh, top, it was what was the question? It was top ten? Who were the coaches in the top ten matchup last involving Tennessee or something like that? Yeah, Tennessee yeah, last time. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the other one that they did that Kirk couldn't get on the Clemson NC State game. Who was the quarterback for NC State the last time NC State was ranked in the top five? And oh. that, uh, the bear, the bear did that one, and, and uh, Kirk said Philip Rivers. Yeah. So, uh, well, I didn't ranked. know that. So I'm guessing uh, I didn't hear that. So I'm saying it was the question or the answer was Jim Donnan, correct? Right, right. 1967. But there you that's go. about all I did. But we, we but Clemson was, uh, you know, that was that was the night they played uh, NC State. And uh, so what do you think about uh, finishing up here about the outside people here? We all know about Alabama. We've talked about them. We talked about uh, certainly Tennessee, Georgia, what, who do you think around the country, if you had to pick how it's going to finish the, the final four, you, you mentioned Ohio State. I think Ohio State's going to be there. Who do you think the other three will be if you think you're somebody beside? Uh, I mean, man, I would – I mean, I think it'll be Ohio State. I do think Michigan's really good. But with the game being in Columbus, I think Ohio State will be there. Um I, I don't know who's going to beat Clemson. I don't know that I really think that Clemson is a top four team this year. I think their defensive line, while it hasn't played to its potential because it hasn't always been healthy, is capable of wrecking just about any game. So I think they're really good. Maybe Carolina with Drake May, who, by the way, I love that guy. Holy cow, awesome is he guy. good. Holy awesome. cow, is he good. Um, but maybe they clip him. But I think Ohio State and Clemson, will probably be there for sure. And I don't know that I believe as good as I think TCU is. I don't know if I think TCU can run the table, and I think they need to run the table to get there. So I would I would say there's a really good chance that the other two teams in the playoff or the two teams are going to play in Athens on Saturday, uh, Georgia and Tennessee. So, I mean, there things would have to fall just right for the loser to get there. And to be honest, I think Tennessee's got a better shot of losing Saturday and still being in the playoff than right. Georgia does. So if Georgia wins the game, close game, Tennessee loses and Georgia goes on to win the SEC, uh, that would be my best guess would be Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, and Tennessee, I think. But you know, there yeah. there are a lot of there are a lot of different things could wreck that. TCU going undefeated, they're going and they should. Um so and TCU with one loss in a close one would be would be uh worthy of, especially if they win the Big 12 with one loss then they would certainly be worthy. And USC, too, for that matter. But I'm not in on Oregon. I think the loss to Georgia was too, uh, big. A lot of, too big. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's tough. Tough. But, you know, when the, when it all comes to fruition, this game Saturday is huge for both teams. And mm-hmm. we're just glad you're going to be here to cover it. And uh, we appreciate our fans. Look forward to your uh, yearly annual talk to us about what's going on in college football, give us a little more insight. And I think 
it means a lot to us to have you the day after the, their, uh, you know, come on. And uh, you put it to old Boo Corgan last night, man. You drilled his ass. That was good. No, I man, like but, that. No, Boo's great. <laughs> I, I, he's going to do a great job with this. I, I, I think Boo, all of the guys are doing a good job. They're in a tough spot. They have. Right. I mean, you got to ask a tough question, though, and you did it. But you well, might mention you might mention that his brother works up there at ESPN, yeah. and you know that was, he was a nice guy. And you know his his dad would always come up there too. Uh, he was actually the ACC uh, when I was coaching. I mean, playing with NC State, he was a he was a SID for the conference before he became an athletic director. And he was commissioner of the ACC for a while. And I was with Gene on the uh, honors court for the National Football Foundation. That's Boo's father, Gene Corrigan, and. Um, my son went to went to high school with uh, Boo's nephews and Tim Corrigan, who you mentioned works for us, son. So I've known the Corrigan family for a long time. Boo's going to be great at this. All of the guys who are the chairs, they have a tough job. Boo and I talked about this in the offseason because they may be in the room. And I thought Boo used a great phrase last night saying he tried to do it with a light touch to make sure that, you know, that he was showing leadership but at the same time, making sure everybody was having their positions brought up. But maybe Boo believes one thing and was advocating for something right. in the room. But when he comes on on Tuesday night or on Selection Day on the final Sunday, he has to he has to represent what the consensus was and what the uh, selection process became. Yeah. And so it's a little bit of a, a fine walk there. He got me good last night, though. I don't know if anybody noticed it. Um, and I, I, I won't make that mistake again. But I asked him about the Big 12. What I need to ask is about the schedules of the teams because they'll always jump on that interviewing technique, young, De young Dane. Don't give them, uh, don't give them an off ramp. And when I did that, I gave Boo an off ramp into saying, "Well, we don't evaluate conferences," which is technically correct, but at the same time, the conference is what makes up your schedule. So. I, I'm, I aired, and the way I phrased that question took a shorthand version of it. And as soon as he started, I was like, well, I gave him the off-ramp there. But, uh, but we'll fix that next time. I'll show Boo. <laughs> yeah, you'll do it. So, hey, well, we look forward to seeing you on Saturday uh, on game day, and all the Georgia fans will be out here in force. And uh, I'll look forward to seeing you tomorrow. All right, man. Tell them to come on down. We'll see you guys later. Thanks for having me. Stay on 14-4.